The Lord's Supper, which we will gather today and observe, is only really understood in the context of the Old Testament Passover. The Passover preceded what we know as the Lord's Supper, and it prefigured the Lord's Supper. And when Jesus gathered his disciples together in the upper room for that first Lord's Supper, he was celebrating the ancient Jewish Passover. And he infused it with new meaning and significance. And that it would speak in the future of his death and the shedding of his blood on the cross. This Passover was first observed by the nation of Israel way, way, way back in their history. Last week, as we have been taking this journey through the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews and looking at faith and what faith means and how each of those great heroes of the faith did what they did by faith, we begin looking at Moses and how Moses did what he did as the leader of Israel by faith. And in the journey that Moses was on, Moses went before the king of Egypt, whose name was Pharaoh. That was sort of the title of the king in those days. And he said, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. That is the nation of Israel. And Pharaoh refused over and over and over again. And so God kept sending plagues on the nation of Egypt to try to force the subject for the nation of Israel to be released from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. They were literally the slaves of the Egyptians. When you look at the beautiful, magnificent pyramids and sphinx that are built in Egypt, but that remain to this day, they were built by the Israelites as the slaves of the Egyptians. And it was brutal work in that tremendous Middle Eastern sun that they carried out. And it went on decade after decade after decade. And the people cried out to God and said, Lord, have you forgotten us? Would you listen to us and would you set us free? And so Moses keeps going before the Lord and saying, excuse me, going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. And so finally God comes to Moses and says, take this message to Pharaoh. If you don't let the people go, then there is coming in a night when I'm going to send the death angel throughout the land of Egypt. And as that death angel moves from house to house, he's going to take the life of the firstborn, whether it be a human or an animal. He's going to take the life of the firstborn. You've got to let the people go. And Moses went in there and he told that to Pharaoh. Now Moses, the Bible says, was ticked off when he went in there. In fact, it says after he delivered the message, he walked out in hot anger. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, Pharaoh isn't going to listen to you. So be prepared for the death angel to move through the land. But this is what I want you to do. And in Exodus chapter 12, he gives very specific instructions as to what he wants him to do. How the nation of Israel on this night is to carry out the Passover. And it is so called the Passover because when the death angel moved through the land of Israel, the death angel would pass over the homes of the Israelites if they carried out the instructions that are given to us in Exodus chapter 12. So allow me to read those instructions in Exodus chapter 12 that are given specifically to Moses for the people to follow out. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. He's trying to say this is the significance of what you're about to observe. This Passover, you will start your year with the Passover. That's the significance of the importance of this Passover. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, 
a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now notice the description of the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. The idea that after they ate it, they were going to have to move quickly. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let me read that sentence again because it is a critical sentence. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will before you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leavened bread out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, those were the instructions that God gave to the nation of Israel as to how they were to observe the Passover. Now Moses is mentioned in this, which we might want to call roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And as he's mentioned there, it is said of Moses that one of the distinctions of him as a man of faith is that he kept the Passover. In fact, he kept the first Passover and the sprinkling of blood. In other words, what Moses did to live out these instructions given in Exodus chapter 12 is a statement of faith in the promise of God and in the character of God. When Moses went to the nation of Israel and he said, God's going to send this death angel to go throughout the land, and I want you all to go out. I want you to take the lamb and kill it, roast it, eat it, take the blood and sprinkle it and spread it across the doorpost and the lintel, the two doorposts on either side and the lintel of the above. So when the death angel sees it, he will pass over that house. That was a statement of faith that God was going to carry through on his word. Not only was God going to carry through and pass over and not bring judgment on that house, 
but also that God was going to deliver that household and deliver the nation out of Egypt and into the land of promise that God would direct them to. So it was a statement of both the judgment of God that was coming as well as the deliverance of God that he was promising. Now let's look at the elements of the Passover. First of all, the term Passover is related to an ancient Egyptian word that meant to spread wings over to protect. Just like a bird would spread its wings over its little chicks to protect it, even so the idea of the Passover is that God was going to spread himself over the nations that, excuse me, over the households that were obedient to him that night in order to protect them. Now the elements of the Passover, first of all, we saw in this passage in Exodus that they were to take a lamb. It was to be a male lamb, a year old, but the most important aspect of this lamb was that it was to be a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, the lamb foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that this lamb was to have no spot or blemish was to indicate that in prophecy that when Jesus came as the Lamb of God, that he would have no spot or blemish. That is, that he would have no sin in him, perfectly pure, holy before the Lord God. So that lamb was to have no spot or blemish. And notice it says that they were to take that lamb, and he gives very specific instructions. He says, do not boil it. You were to roast it in fire. Now, fire in Scripture is symbolic of judgment. And so the reason the lamb was to be roasted in fire, again, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, is when Jesus came, he would carry upon himself and have poured out upon himself God's judgment on him for our sin. In fact, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God against our sin on our behalf. Notice it says that the lamb was to be eaten with bitter herbs. Now, why is that? Because the bitter herbs were to recall to Israel the bitterness of the slavery that they had been in in Egypt. Every time throughout the centuries that they would observe the Passover, they would begin to eat that roasted lamb. And it would have tasted good. But then they had to mix in those bitter herbs. And those bitter herbs would have just turned their tongues inside out. And it was their way, God's way of taking them back to when they were in slavery in Egypt. And you see, it was God's way of reminding them of slavery. And it's God's way of pointing to and reminding us that sin always ends up having a bitter taste in our lives. You see, one of the reasons that that lamb had to be roasted is because that speaking of sin, the judgment of God is serious business because sin is serious business. We don't tend to take our sin very seriously. We laugh about sin. We joke about sin. Everybody's doing it, etc., etc. But sin is not only serious. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. God is repulsed at sin. His holiness and His holy character revulses against our sin. And one of the reasons God despises sin is because what He sees it does to us. It breaks and mangles our relationship with Him. It destroys us little by little. It messes up and screws up 
our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship together as community. That is the effect of the impact of sin. And God gets angry about sin and he takes sin so seriously. He says something has to be done about it because I want a relationship with you. But how can God have that relationship with us? He has to pour out his judgment against sin. And he did that upon the Lord Jesus on the cross. Now notice that you have a lamb without blemish, roasted with fire, eaten with the bitter herbs, speaking of the enslavement of Israel, which spoke of the enslavement that sin carries out in our lives. See, Satan will always make us think that sin liberates when it's the exact opposite. It enslaves. The next element of the Passover is the blood of the lamb that was killed. Notice the instructions. They were to take that blood and they were to spread it on the two doorposts and across the lintel. They didn't realize it, but they were literally making a cross when they did that. And when the death angel would pass over the lamb, he would see that blood and he would pass over. Now follow me on this. Judgment would come on an Israeli's house just as sure as it would come on an Egyptian's house, it was not nationality that caused them to escape judgment and to be delivered. It was the blood on the doorpost that caused judgment to pass over and deliverance to be carried through. If you were an Israelite that night and you decided, oh, this is just a fairy tale that Moses has come up with, we're not going to bother to put the blood on our doorpost. Judgment would have come in your house just as surely as it would have come in an Egyptian's house. It was not that the Israelites were so good and pure in and of themselves that they escaped judgment and they were delivered. What God was looking for was not nationality per se. He was looking for the blood on the doorpost. And he says, I will pass over those homes that have the blood on the doorpost. But they had to have the door on the, board, on the doorpost in order for the death angel to pass over and judgment not to come. Now, what was God trying to say? Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, that is of the Lord Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by His blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Folks, what spares us the judgment of God because of our sin and what delivers us into the hands of the Lord is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not who we are in and of ourselves. It is not how good we think we are. When we get to heaven someday or when we stand in the presence of God, we cannot claim that we were Baptist. And because we were Baptist, that's what got us into the presence of the Lord and into heaven. We can't claim that we were church members and we were good upstanding Americans and that would is what gets us in. We can't say, well, I came from this family and they're good people and they were recognized in the community. That's not what's going to cut it for us. The only thing that's going to cut it for us in the presence of the Lord is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person, I don't care who they are, has to lay claim to His blood 
But oh, his blood is more than sufficient to alleviate the wrath of God. His blood is more than sufficient to take away sin and to cut away guilt. That old hymn used to say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can set me free again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is nothing but his blood. And there has been a move in American Christianity over about the last generation not to talk about the blood and sing about the blood and preach about the blood. And people say we don't want that bloody religion. The reason Satan has propagated that is because he knows that when we stop singing about the blood and preaching about the blood and leaning on the blood of Jesus to set us free, he's got us right where he wants us in bondage because only the blood of Jesus can and will set us free. So he shed his blood for us to save us by the wrath of God. Don't lean on your good works. Don't lean on what we can come up on with. Lean solely and completely on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a passage to you last week from the book of Revelation where it says that we have overcome. By what? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And when we go out to do missions, whether it's in Rocky Mount, Italy, Hampton Roads, or wherever God calls us, the temptation is to look at the power of sin and the presence of sin in a community and to say that person, that neighborhood, that community, that demographic is beyond hope because of the power of sin. But we don't look at the power of sin in a person's life, in a community, in a neighborhood. We look at the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse that person, to cleanse that community, and to set them free. It is Satan's lie for us to look at any mission field and say, I don't think God can pull it off. He already pulled it off on the cross 2,000 years ago. All we've got to do is go in and claim what he's already accomplished and let him do his thing. His blood can break the power of sin. His blood can break the power of Satan. Ours cannot, but his can. Now notice the third element of the Passover. Unleavened bread. Now you notice all through it keeps talking about unleavened bread. What in the world was unleavened bread? Leaven was used in Israel every day. What the ladies would do is they would take a lump of dough and they would put leaven into the dough and then they would kneel the dough and then they would take small pieces of the dough and they would pull some aside so they could work it into the next loaf to make sure that every loaf had leaven in it. Now, this is what leaven did. When you put leaven into bread, it causes the bread to expand. It adds, <coughs> excuse me, size to the bread. It puffs it up so that you get more volume, but you don't get weight. So the bread gets bigger, it doesn't get heavier. It does not add any quality to the bread. It just makes it bigger, more impressive. When I was a, a sophomore in high school, I got a job at a supermarket working in the delicatessen area as the cleanup boy. And the first day on the job, the lady who was in charge of the bakery, which is attached to the delicatessen, she took me over to the back and she said, Now, here are these 
big cases I've got with all the bread in them for tomorrow. Please roll them to the meat department refrigeration area before you leave here tonight. Well, I forgot to do that. Now, I didn't know squat about dough and about yeast and about leaven and about bread expanding as it got warmer and all of that. The next day I come into work and the lady comes running over to me and she says, you didn't roll those bread trays back there last night? And she said, when I came in here this morning, those big trays were out there. And she says, and when I opened them up, the bread literally jumped out and almost grabbed me. She said, that stuff been rising all night long. They got tons of volume, no weight, but tons of volume. She said, I had to rework all those loaves. She says, please, 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 please tonight, take that bread and put it back there. And that's that idea that it just expands and expands and expands. Unleavened bread. Leaven in the scriptures came to symbolize sin. And the core of sin is pride. You know, if I offend somebody, hurt somebody, and I want to apologize to them, that's pride. If I don't want to admit that I've done something wrong, that's pride. Pride is, you know, if I refuse to repent... Of sin. That's pride. Pride is at the core of all sin. And what does pride do? It puffs us up. We think we are somebody. And we get more volume. We get, our heads get bigger, the old expression goes. We get more volume in our lives because the pride just puffs us up and puffs us up. We don't get more weight. We don't gain any value. We don't gain any wisdom. <clears throat> we don't gain any more love. But man, we get the volume going. Sort of like I was when I hit about 45 years of age. I started getting more volume. Well, of course, that way I got more volume and more weight for that matter, but we won't go there. But the idea is that that volume just increases and increases, and that's what pride does to us. It just causes us to think we are something else. And he said, I don't want any unleavened bread because he's saying the bread that you eat is supposed to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, follow me on this. Jesus walked and lived in humility. He did not have sin in him. He didn't have more volume. He was not impressive. The Bible in the book of Isaiah and prophesying of Jesus says, when we shall look upon him, there's nothing that's going to attract us towards him. He doesn't walk around flashy. He's not going to be good looking. He's not someone you're going to be naturally attracted to. But he does have the weight of the glory of God in him. He's got it where it counts. The weight of God's glory. Now, the Passover spoke of deliverance, as does the Lord's Supper. Allow me to compare the two, and they're in your sermon notes. First of all, the Passover spoke of deliverance. The people were leaving Egypt. They were being delivered to a new land. The Lord's Supper speaks of our deliverance from sin to the destiny of your life and our life together that God has for us. The Passover spoke of bondage to freedom. They were leaving Egyptian bondage and going to the freedom that God had for us. The Lord speaks of the bondage that God delivers us from in the blood and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover spoke of deliverance from the rule of Pharaoh to the rule of God. When they walked out of Egypt that night, they left Pharaoh in the dust and behind them. He was not their ruler anymore. They had one ruler. It wasn't Moses. He was acting on God's behalf. When they walked out of Egypt, they had one ruler, and that was Jehovah God. Even so, the Lord's Supper says that we no longer serve sin. We no longer serve Satan. We have a new ruler, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Passover, men and enslaved people became a delivered people. A slave people became a delivered people. If you had walked up to those Israelites outside of Egypt, as it began to sink into them what was going on, and asked them, who have you been? They would have said, we've been the slaves of the Egyptians. Who are you becoming? We're becoming servants of the Lord God. A new identity. You see, the Lord doesn't deliver us just to get us out of judgment. He rescues us so that we belong to Jesus. Deliverance is about belonging, not just about deliverance. I am delivered from sin. I am delivered. We are delivered from the power of Satan, from the power of sin, so that we can belong to Jesus. I am not delivered just to belong to myself. I am delivered to belong to Jesus. He rescues me so that I belong to Him. And we belong to Him above and beyond everything else in our lives. No matter what we go through in life, we belong fundamentally at the end of the day to Jesus Christ. The church belongs to Him. The church does not belong to this pandemic. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church does not belong to what's going on in this country. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. We belonged to Jesus before the United States came around, and we will belong to Jesus long after the United States has passed off of world history. This is about an eternal work that Almighty God is doing. Our identity, who are we? We are people who belong to Jesus. I like to say we are a resurrection people. We live in the shadow, in the power, in the glory, in the work of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is deliverance at a cost. His life was given. His blood was shed. We live with deliverance that cost Jesus everything. That night, as the people went to their doorpost and they began to spread the blood over the doorpost, they were saying, we need to be delivered. And God's got to pull this off because we can't pull this off. As they walked in the house and they set the meal up, they said, Moses instructed us, have your staff by your hand, have your sandals on. Because after we eat this meal, we're going to get up and we're going to pack up and we're on the move. This is not a meal to eat and sit back and rub our stomachs and say, wasn't that nice? This is a meal to eat and then open the door when Moses gives the word and we are out of here tonight. You see, Jesus rescues us not to sit back and talk about just being rescued. He rescues us to get up and to get moving with him. To get on to the next thing that he's got for us. Deliverance is about belonging. And deliverance is about moving with him. In his direction. With what he's got for us. It is about running after Jesus. 
faith is always going to get us running with Jesus and running after Jesus. And so as we gather this day around this supper that he instituted, and as we will take the wafer, we're going to be reminded of his body that was broken for us, beaten for us, torn for us on the cross. As you take the juice and drink it, you're going to be reminded of his blood that was poured out for you on the cross. And we're called to be reminded that we have been delivered from the judgment of God because Jesus took the judgment. We have been delivered to the Lord, rescued by Him, so that we belong to Him. To do what? To move with Him. To run after Jesus. That's why Jesus walked up to people and He said what? Follow me. Walk with me. Kneel with me. Run with me. Be rescued by me. Belong to me. Follow me. And so if you will take the Lord's Supper cup. And if you'll peel back the top. And remove the wafer. I'll give you a moment to do that. as you hold this wafer in your hands may your mind go back to that night when the Israelites looked at the unleavened bread and heard the command of Moses to eat it and then thousands of years later when Jesus gathered his disciples and held up unleavened bread that night but said something they had never heard. This is my body broken for you. Eat all of it. And if you will take the cup, peel it back. And again, hear the words of our Lord. That night as he held the cup up before the disciples. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood.
a new relationship that I want to have with you, your deliverance is going to cost me everything. But I want you to receive it. I want you to take it. I want you to drink it. In so doing, remember what I am doing for you. And know that you belong to me. This is my blood, he said. Drink all of it. you'll bow your heads with me in prayer if you're here this day or you were watching or listening to this service in any of the different mediums through which this service goes out and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ trusted him as your Lord and Savior and said to him Jesus I want to follow you then I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, this day, I choose to follow you. I want to belong to you. And with your help, I turn away from sin. And I turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your powerful, precious name, I pray, Lord. If you've made that decision that I want to ask, that if you're here, that you would come to me after the service today or to Jacob, let us know because we would love to pray with you. We would love to encourage you in your walk with Christ. We would love to place into your hands a little booklet that will help you grow in your new walk with Jesus. And if you are listening to this service in any capacity and have prayed this prayer to trust Christ, then I want to ask you to contact us here at Rocky Mount Baptist and, and let us encourage you. We would love to place this little booklet into your hands also to help you grow in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we want to help you in any way we can to come to know Him in a greater, deeper way to walk with Him. For knowing Christ is not just about the first day. It is about the first day of coming to know Him, but it's about all the days that follow. Jesus, we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving this day for dying for us, for rising again from the dead, for being our King of kings and our Lord of lords and for saying to us, regardless, Lord, of how messed up we are, follow me. Jesus, we bless you. We thank you for the deliverance that you give us. Not just on the day that we trust you, but every day after, we thank you. Jesus, we praise you and we bless you and we honor you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.